Good morning. If you're in need of a Bible this morning, uh, feel free to grab one from the back table. And please turn to Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Thrilled to have you and to be with you here on Easter morning. My name is Andrew, and I'm a pastor and elder here at Table Rock. And I thought maybe a fitting way to begin was to read you a text that I received a little bit earlier this year. And in asking the question, why does Easter matter? Like, what does it really change, the fact that the tomb was empty? And I think this text will... This is from a friend will give us a little insight into that. He said, Andrew, I just had the first ever moment where I felt like God spoke to me. I've been struggling lately with a lot of stuff. I'm trying to change parts of my life. And last night after Bible study, I went home for a drive to clear my head. And I asked God for a sign that I needed help. Today, I opened the Bible that you gave me and looked up passages to read for when you need help. And I found Isaiah 41:10. I was reading it and I kept rereading it. Then I took a break and, and uh, I felt for the first time as I was looking over Psalm 41.10 that God was speaking to me. I'm struck right now. And isn't that such a good reminder of what, what did the empty tomb, what did the resurrection of Jesus Christ allow? It allowed us to feel and experience those things. Texts like that, real experiences because if he is living, if he is risen, if he's alive, as we all profess him to be, as we just sang, we should experience him that way. That he would visit us, he would meet us, he would draw us in, and we would say, yeah, struck right now, because God spoke to me. That's what an alive God does. That's, that's who he is. And so this morning, you should come in expecting to hear from the God of the universe who talks and speaks and feels and loves and has something for you. And not just on Easter, but on every single day. So why don't I pray with that in mind? Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love 
Oh, how we need you to be alive, to be risen from that tomb, to speak to us, to engage us, to beckon us, to call us forward. And Father, all the more we pray for a living, real, genuine experience with you here this morning. God, you say, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So come and we pray, disrupt our lives as you did those women on the very first morning and deepen our living hope in you. God, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to clarify our point for our time this morning, I think the angel's words, I'm assuming brimming with delight to be able to say, ladies, he's not here. He's risen. And know that they were coming carrying spices and, and myrrh and lotions, and they're thinking we're about to go under kind of a big embalming session right now for this body. And yet uh, the angel utters those words, disrupt their plans about that morning. And so when it really comes down to how does it matter for us today, 2023 here in April, and I would like to talk about Easter this morning with this as our backdrop, that Easter is all about a person. Easter is about the person of Christ keeping his promises that you would see this morning that Easter is a promise for you, one that you can count on, that you can bank on, and that you can trust in. Now, if the resurrection had failed, that means God would be breaking his promises with us, but it didn't. So we're gonna look at four of them this morning, two in the gospel passages that we just read, and then one also in another passage in 1 Peter that we'll read here in a moment. But let's look at this first one. This first one is in the passage that Jolene just read, but you can trust what Jesus says to you. The right here is a catalog of all the promises that someone who believes and trusts in Jesus can count on and can bank on. And so we look at our text in verse 5 and 6, as Jolene just read, the angel said to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Why did you doubt? Did you expect any differently? They sure did. Remember, now that you got these words, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over and crucified and on the third day rise. What does Easter tell us? It tells us that Christ's words are trustworthy. They can be banked on. Everyone doubted that morning that they could cash in on that resurrection check. They all doubted. They all expected it to bounce. There's no way that that was going to happen. But that morning, those women and those disciples cashed in on possibly the biggest check that has ever been cashed. The promise that Jesus made for us. And yet, if you're anything like me, I continue to live a life, right, of these bad and bounced checks trying to cash in on the world's wisdom and on its words, and yet I have all these handwritten checks that are given to me by God, and they're uncashed at the throne of grace. Jesus makes good on his payment. Easter morning is a reminder that he makes good on his payment. You can sign the back of his checks and take them in. 
Now, for some of us, we realize that the sayings of Jesus are hard and that they are. No doubt this one was very unlikely, but how about his promises to, it's better to stay in your marriage, far better than adultery or divorce. divorce. His promise to forgive is far better than to be haunted by bitterness. His promise to, to repent of that secret sin in your life than it is to be um, coddle it to your own demise. His promise to trust him and him alone for your salvation is far better than to cling to your own insufficient good works. Easter is a reminder that Jesus Christ makes good on his promises. And he stamped it on Easter morning. You can trust him that this morning you're wrestling through, should I really follow through on what Jesus says. You'll never regret it. Number two, not only can we trust what Jesus says, but we trust what he has done. We look at another gospel passage in the gospel of John, and Jesus is having this dialogue with Mary, and he says, Mary, kind of startles Mary here for a minute. And what I want you to hear in all this is the incredible adoption language that is going on here. Have you ever wondered the question, how can we call God Father? You ever asked that question? Well, it's because Jesus made us family on Easter morning. That's why. Here's the passage. He's adopted us into his heavenly family. Mary, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, but go to the brothers. Don't you see that? He's already associating the disciples as his family. But go to the brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Don't you see? Jesus is saying that he and the disciples and consequently we, we share the same father. We're able to call God father. Why? Because we have the same sonship status that Jesus has. That's what he's doing for you and for me, for all those that would trust in him. That's jaw-dropping good. And all the privileges, blessings, pity, opportunities, inheritance, the smile that God the Father has for God the Son, he gives you if you're trusting in Jesus. One of the things that we love at Table Rock are adoptions. And we have some adoptions that are here. In fact, we just had a couple this weekend fly in with a new child. And so as you, as you think about some of these adoptions and this new couple, the Knighton family and this little boy that they have brought home with them here to Boise, and this little boy, his adoption status, it's fixed. It's never to be reversed. It cannot be annulled. His status is legal. It's binding. Um, irregardless of his ethnicity, irregardless of his age, the color of his skin or of his hair, his socioeconomic class has no bearing on his adoption. Even no matter how many birthed biological brothers and sisters this little boy has, his standing as a knighton does not change. This little boy cannot send himself out of the family 
He's on the will. It is sealed. And his new last name is imprinted on his back, never to be taken away. And so it is for you in Christ that all of us have done nothing to deserve an adoption. We haven't uh, done anything to merit it. It is simply the good, gracious will of the parents. And so as you think about, as you have been, if you were trusting in Christ and have been adopted into the heavenly family, no success or failure or sin or struggle or shaming experience or regretful deed that you have done or thought can strip your status and remove your heavenly last name. I remember I just celebrated 14 years with my wife, Sarah, and uh, it was a glorious day. It's been a fun day for the last 14 years because our twins were born on that day. So uh, it's been about 14 years since we've celebrated our anniversary on that day. Um, but uh, it's, it, it, April 4th is a wonderful day. Actually, last year at this time, it was the twins' birthday, our anniversary, and Easter. But we're, we let go of Easter for this one, which was good. But I'll never forget when we were, uh, I was about to propose to her about a month or so before we were, I was, I was gonna propose to Sarah and was sharing with her and I had these thoughts. I, I wonder if she'll accept me knowing who I really am. And I remember sharing with her that night that I hadn't been clean sexually. Uh, I felt dirty and I'll never forget what Sarah said. No matter what you say, or what you've done, I love you. I love you. And your Father in heaven, through Christ, says the same thing to you. That adoption is legally binding, and it is secure. Let's do this. Go with me, uh, or read with me. Those are two promises. You can trust what Jesus says. You can trust what Jesus has done. But let's think about two more. We're going to go to 1 Peter, and I'm just going to read the passage to remember two more promises this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Let's remember that. All of this is because of him. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, why do these trials come? Why are they placed by God? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. So promise number three, you can trust what Jesus says, you can trust what he's done, but you can trust who he is. Now who do we understand him to be? As the verse says that he resurrected from the dead. God died. He died, all right? On Good Friday, he really died. He was dead. That's how we start the Easter story. And we remember that. We, we remember that he 
died. And as I was reading through the, the gospel accounts, it was just interesting thinking about the trial of Jesus and all that he endured and all that he went through. And I counted up how many times they gave him a verdict. And you know what Herod and Pilate and even the criminals and even the, the, one of the soldiers that crucified Jesus, you know what they all said? Innocent. He's innocent. He's done nothing to deserve death. Not, not one thing. Well, if he wasn't up there suffering the consequences for, whose, for his sin, whose was it? Mine. Yours. Jesus was not being judged for what he did. He was being judged for what we did. My envy, my jealousy, my lust, my gossip, my slander, my fits of anger, losing my temper when I discipline my kids, my comparison, my rivalry in competition. My rivalry in competition on the baseball field yesterday when we lost a little kid's game, nine to eight. All right? That, that's me. Now, take, take a look at the artwork uh, around the room. Look, look at it. Look at it. Look around. The beautiful thing about Jesus and about Easter, Jesus judged, Jesus marched to the cross, Jesus stripped, Jesus nailed, Jesus hung. That should be Andrew judged, Andrew marched, Andrew stripped, Andrew nailed, and Andrew hung. And it's not. Man, that's incredible mercy that we enjoy in Christ this morning, that he is this savior substitute. But we know that he's not only died, but on the third day, it's Sunday, it's not Good Friday anymore, but that he really, really rose. And we're gonna have a, after the service, we're gonna have a baptism. Hasin's gonna be baptized. And it's this beautiful picture of Easter. So when you're, you're watching it happen, I want you to picture Easter, tomb and resurrection. Then what is Tassin saying? He's saying that when he is lowered in the water, Jesus Christ has died for me. And he's put my old life and my sin to death. And then as he done raises him up out of the water, it's this picture of Jesus has, has, has raised him to new life that his shame and his sin and his guilt, there's a nail through them, they're done, they've been canceled, and he's been raised just as Jesus was. It's awesome. It's gonna be awesome. And you're gonna get to visualize and see that. But as we think about the resurrection, I wanna throw a couple things by you. Um, you would probably relate with your less churched friends or your unreligious friends or uh, your non-Christian friends if you could uh, this weekend or tomorrow uh, relate with them a little bit over how inconceivable and how unlikely that a dead man actually rose. Probably makes you somewhat relatable if you were to do that. Yeah, I was in church. We were in the Easter service and it really kind of struck me. We believe a weird far out thing. We believe that a dude really died and he sat there, rotted and rose to life. That's what we believe. 
And yeah, there's incredible evidence for it. 500 witnesses saw him, that you have the evidence of the disciples turning from incredible fear to preaching Jesus valiantly, that the, one of the greatest preachers of all time had some of the highest positions in Judaism, the, the apostle Paul, and he abandoned that to, to, to join one of the most fledgling religions that the world knew at the time. And if you were to ask them, hey, yeah, you know, I realize what we believe is, is really unlikely but it's, it's, it's historically verified, historians, that the tomb was empty. What do you think happened? There's really not a great alternative toward a tomb that was guarded and sealed. And there was a dead person in it. All of his friends had left, had hightailed it out. It was guarded by a, a guard of soldiers. Why? Because he really rose. And aren't we glad that he did. Let's go to our last promise. Sound good? Here we are. You can trust what Jesus has given you here in verse three. This is what Easter promises us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. So I wanna ask some questions. How does hope live on in the rest of this passage? This is the last promise. We can trust what he says. We can trust what he's done. We can trust who he is, a dead but risen Lord. And now we can trust what he's given. He's given you something. It's called living hope. That's what Christians have. We have hope. We're not hopeless. We're full of hope. And the beautiful thing is it rises and falls on the life of a person named Jesus. And it's unaffected by situations or circumstances. That your hope is as real and alive and genuine as is Jesus real and alive and genuine. That's what we have. So let's ask the question, where is this hope? Where is, is how does this hope live on? One, where is Jesus taking us? Verse number four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's an incredible reminder that for those of us that are trusting in Jesus, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. As close to hell as you'll ever get. And yet there are so many that this is as close to heaven as they will ever get. That every day we are one step closer to cashing in on this inheritance. And when you get to that day of where Jesus is now risen on glory and you were brought to heaven, there's two things that you won't say. One is you won't say, you won't pat yourself on the back and go, good job, I deserve this. No one's gonna get there and think that. No one is, is going to have those words and then nobody's gonna say, is this it? You gotta be kidding me. This is it? No one's gonna be thinking that. No one, you can be assured, no one is going to be remembering or thinking that. But it's been reserved in heaven for you. All that has been lost in Genesis 1, the very first book of the Bible, is going to be restored a hundredfold in rich friendships and meaningful work and undeniable purpose and heavenly possessions. Your faith will finally become sight and risk and worry will be replaced with safety and assurance. And at Boise State two weeks ago, they had a conference and everyone in there had to be reminded and had to wear shirts that said, you belong. And in heaven, you'll belong 
to everyone in every moment. Jesus has made you belong. You're not gonna have to struggle with do you belong or not. Remember, at Easter, we're reminded that we have an inheritance. That's one way that our hope lives on. We remember that Jesus is taking us somewhere. Number two, how's he taking you there? What, what, what's he using? Look with me at verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Faith is what God gives us to live on. He says it's the gift of faith. So how does God flex his muscles? How does he show his power and guard and shield you throughout this life? It's the gift of faith. Well, what is faith? Faith, a way to define it is simply looking to Jesus to make good on his promises. That's what you're doing. Every time you look at Jesus, you are looking to him to hold him and make sure that he's going to be good on his promise. So this morning that when, when life throws a wrench at you or your reflex, when life comes at you, what do you do? You look to Christ. That's what he's saying. That, that's what God has given you. He says it's better than sight. He says it's better than yourself. He says that it's better than situations. That the best thing, the most powerful thing that God can give you is your faith. Why? Because the object of your faith, if you're a Christian, is Jesus. And that's the safest place to rest your eyes. It's an incredibly scary place when you're looking outward or inward. And he wants you to look upward. That's the best thing for you. That no matter what is coming your way right now, that God wants you to look to Jesus. That's what he has helped you to combat this life and to live this journey. And finally, let's look at number seven. He's not just taking us somewhere. He's taking us somewhere by faith. But he isn't just taking us somewhere by faith. He's taking you somewhere by tested and tried faith. And nobody wants that. Nobody. No one wants tests. No one wants trials. We, it would be nice to end the sermon on faith. Yes, let me look to Jesus. Let's end that way. And that's not what Jesus is doing. That's not what he's doing with your life. Yesterday, um, Little League Baseball can, can, can be an incredibly um, traumatic event. You throw an 18-year-old, or no, you throw an 8-year-old. Um, goodness, 18. They're not 18 yet. You throw an 8-year-old on the mound. You give him a little 3-inch ball. And you tell him from 50 to 55 feet away, he's got to hit a two foot by two foot square? You got to be kidding me. It's not going to happen. It can happen. And yet we do. It's lonely on the mound. It's a lonely place. I've experienced it. My son's experienced it. Probably many of you have experienced it, whether softball mound or baseball mound or just playing in the backyard and you're there all alone. And I tell my pitchers, I said, hey, when craziness is going on and you're worried and you're insecure and you're unsure, look at me. Listen to my words. I'm your coach. I'm for you. You've got no bigger fan right now. Listen to my words. And in the isolation of that pitcher's mound, that little boy or that little girl gets to catch the sound of their coach who is for them and behind them and applauding them and believing in them no matter what happens. And that's the same thing that your God is doing 
for you. He isolates you on the mound. With crying kids or cancer or conflict with a friend, it's there because he is building resilience in you. He wants you to make it the outcome of your life. He wants to bring you with his son to rise you up on the last day. And he is handpicking trials and tests in your life to get you to look back to the dugout, to get your eyes and to cast them upon him because he cares for you and because he's in your corner and he loves you. And he's saying desperately, let my words, let my words cascade over you and fill the ballpark. That's what he's doing. That's what he does for us this Easter so that the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we will not praise ourselves. We will praise the one that we've been looking to, Jesus Christ. I'll end with this verse. Lest you think that God is only dealing with you this way, let's be mindful of how he dealt with his son. Talking about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Even God was revealing the purity and faithfulness of Jesus through trial and through tests. You remember right before Easter happened, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, God, and this cross is not gonna be easy. If it be your will, let this cup, let this trial pass from me. And then in resolve and in full faith, Jesus looks up and says, yet not my will, but yours be done. God is taking you somewhere. He's taking you there by tried and tested faith. He is purifying your heart to allow you to endure and to make what is coming next. That your faith in Christ might be praiseworthy on that last day to be reunited with him. That, that your faith is in Jesus Christ. That he is the praised one. And though you fail and fail you will. Our hope is not in your faith. Your hope is in the one your faith is in. And it's he is the one that prevailed. He was perfect is how the verse ends. He was perfect. I'm gonna invite Rachel and Maddie to close us out in song. And I, I just, they can come on up and we're gonna give you just a, a chance to, to meditate, to meditate over what you've heard and these four promises. And which one do you need to hear? Which one do you need to cash on and think through and meditate on this Easter? And so they're gonna play three or four minutes for us and pray, take some time to be thoughtful about, do I need to trust what Jesus says? Do I need to trust what he's done and, and adopted me? Do I need to trust who he is, dead but risen? Or do I need to trust what he's given me, this living hope in this time in my life? I'll pray and then they'll play. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promise. 
your promises. So God, as we reflect this morning, God, we say thank you for Easter. Thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, has made good on his promises. God, I pray that even as this time, as we ponder and meditate, you would bless our time now. Thank you, in Jesus' name.